0: The Athletics Can't Wait Jets Podcast, your non-stop shop for all things Jets. Now here are your hosts, Tim McMaster and Connor Hughes. Listen safely.
1: Can't wait. Get used to the mantra, all gas, no brake. Cannot tell you enough about how excited I am to work with this entire Jets organization and understanding that when we wake up in the morning, we will all, from top down, step on the pedal and find a way to get somewhat better than we were when we, uh, when we woke up.
2: We've always had the all-gas, no-break mantra here on the Can't Wait podcast. Good to know the coach is aligned with our philosophy. Welcome in, Robert Sala. Wrapped up his introductory press conference a couple of hours ago. We're going to break it down. We'll also talk about the Deshaun Watson rumors, of course. Uh, please subscribe to the show wherever you listen. Give us a rating and review on Apple as well. Lots to get to. And, Connor, I think let's we should just get into the football this time, just once. I don't think we have a whole lot of other stuff to to talk about. So let's just get into it. Um, and I think the first thing Jets fans wanted to see, right, when this press conference started was that it wasn't the last head coach press conference. And we can get into what we thought over all of the press conference, but we'll start there. This was not the Adam Gase press conference.
0: No, it's not. We could have started. with. So I was going to say we could have just let Marissa rant for a little bit. <laughs> she was pretty ornery when we first began this, uh, this podcast, a little pissed off at me wanting to start this podcast at 45. She's a little ornery. I don't oh, think I've we ever seen that had a company wide meeting before.
3: beforehand. And Connor's yeah, like, right. company-wide,
0: yeah, why are they scheduling company wide meetings on the day the Jets introduced the new headset? I don't know. So I they
3: should have worked around <laughs> the Jets schedule. Yeah, exactly.
0: I think, I think, I think they should have. They should have just called me. I don't know why I didn't get the call from, from Adam and everyone and be like, hey, so Connor, what's the schedule like today? Connor, Can what's you your schedule? Like, are you
3: golfing today? Do you have anything? Are like you kidding that? me? It's
0: 40 degrees outside and 25 <laughs> mile per hour winds. There's no golfing taking place today. There's no golfing tomorrow. There is no golfing at all. This was. Wait Robert Saladay. it. Was, yeah. is Robert Soliday, and I'll probably get a chance to I haven't breathed had a chance to breathe too much, but I, mean, I don't have about like seventy five million podcasts to do like Marissa was just talking about before we came on, like trying to rub in my face. Oh Connor, what you gonna go to the gym after this? You gonna go lift after this, Connor? Oh yeah, guess what I've gotta do? I've never seen her get this pissed off before. I'm sorry, right. Tim. I couldn't. I couldn't let you go. It just I couldn't let you start one without. Fair enough. We had, we had he didn't want to
3: get right into the press conference. but the Never chat. Can. Everyone wants to hear about what what Salah had to say, so I think we should get into it. We have a few clips queued up. So. We'll end it
0: with. we we'll
2: end it Great with show. a Marissa
3: rant. Yeah.
2: yeah. And honestly, like for people that did tune in, you know, it was streamed. Um, let us know what you thought uh, in the, yeah, chat, in the of, chat of our first kind of like listening to Robert Sala as the head coach of the Jets. We'll share some of those thoughts as we go along as well. But overall, Connor, it was a straightforward. I, I was saying before we started, I'd give it like a B this press conference mm-hmm. as far as a head coach. It wasn't like the the Grand Slam. I think of um, big t- like Joe Judge last year. I thought really crushed yes. his Giants introductory press conference. Um, but plenty of plenty of coaches go the other way, and it's not that good. This was solid. I mean, he said good things. Um, he didn't say the things that you figured he wouldn't say. Um, you got a kind of insight into his personality, his approach. It was it was a solid press conference. But really, press conferences don't matter. Winning matters, and we'll get to that.
0: Yeah, I I think you, you hit it on the head of it B, and, and that's my – I always get annoyed with the whole, did he win the press conference? Like, oh, he won this one, like what Dan Campbell just did. You know what I mean? Like, I thought that – when Joe Judge, I thought was like the one that was the big, yeah, he won it. And I think the reason why he won it was he, he was a guy that no one knew anything about. They were like, well, what won him? And, and he didn't go and make any, like, ridiculous declarations, and Joe Judge didn't come out and, like, make any, like, you know, insane, oh, we're not going to kiss any rings. We're no one's little brother. We're gonna go beat the Patriots and do all that like he didn't he didn't do any of that Joe judge just showed who he was as a coach and I think that that Sala did that on a slightly lesser level you know I think that he was like the B version of that compared to an a and that doesn't matter no if the guy goes and wins football games none of this matters whether it was an a press conference or a B press conference but I do think that he hit on everything you hoped to hear from this press conference you know he came out and he showed that vision you know he he showed that, that not only does he he have an idea of where he wants to get the Jets, he realizes that he, they're not there. He realizes it's going to take some time, but he's got the the pathway there and the roadmap to get there. I think that was a really big sign and a good step in the right direction. I think that you saw some of that passion and intensity come through that the Jets need. You know, there was a lot of talk about the players. There was a lot of talk about the the people aspect of this. There wasn't so much of the me, me, me. You know, I think that came across well. I think when he came out and he said things along the lines of, of uh, I'm not going to call the defensive plays because I need to be the head coach of this football team. You know, he's not yeah. talking about, okay, I, yeah. I'm going to, you know, he's not the offensive genius or the defensive genius. He's the head coach of this football team and he's going to do things that the head coach of a football team does. And he said, you know, everyone's got to be linked in arms, everyone's got to be together. We all got to be carrying this team to the same direction. And if they're headed in the right direction and, and trending that way, then it's going to work. So, I think he hit all the right tunes. I think he was probably one or two really meaningful quotes aside from, from all gas, no breaks. I think that, uh, I I think that's all we're
2: going to remember, right? That's the only thing we're going to remember a year from now.
0: Yeah. And, and I think that if he was, uh, he was probably like one or two more quotes away from there for me. Like, Oh my God, it's the a press conference. But you saw the, how genuine he is. You know, you saw that none of this was, was fake. None of this was an act. I mean, I think you sat there and talked to him. You kind of felt like you related to him because he came off, as a real person, he came off as a true person. And I think that it was, it was everything you could have wanted for in in an intro press conference. And now they just got to go ahead and and move forward with it. And maybe the biggest thing that came out of this, and I know it's going to make, I've always said this over and over again, it doesn't matter, but it's going to make jet fans go absolutely crazy is that the organizational structure is finally changing. That You've got the head coach reporting to the GM and the GM reporting to the owner. And that's kind of what jet fans have been clamoring for, for uh, quite a bit, quite a bit.
2: All right. So we're going to play a few clips um, from the presser as we go around just to set up these conversations. And I mean, we're going to start with the one that I think everybody knew was going to be an early question in this press conference. You actually got it in there, Connor. So credit for that. Um, But everybody wanted to know what he would say about Sam Darnold, knowing that he probably wouldn't say anything really about Sam Darnold. So let's roll that clip, Marissa, and then we can talk about what that means going forward.
1: I could talk about the way we game planned uh, back earlier in the season and, and studying Sam and trying to uh, come up with a plan when we played the Jets. And what I can tell you about uh, with regards to Sam is that he's got an unbelievable arm talent. There's a reason why he was the number three pick in the draft. Uh, he's fearless in the pocket. He's got uh, a natural throwing motion. He's mobile. Uh, he's extremely intelligent. And, uh, and like I he's tough as nails. Uh, uh, his reputation in the locker room is unquestioned. And so... Uh, just just that in general, uh, there's a reason why he was the third pick in the draft. And you can see all those qualities on tape and around the building and the way people people speak about him.
2: So then there was a follow-up question about, is he going to be your quarterback next year? And of course that was the question that, you know, he dodged. He's not going to answer that question. There's a lot that can happen between now uh, and draft day and evaluation and Deshaun Like who knows? Um, So I think we got what we expected to get, but he clearly, I, I thought it was good, Connor, that he reflected back on the preparation he did when facing Sam Darnold last season, and he didn't just kind of completely throw out some cliche. He actually related it to his experience.
0: Totally unrelated, but I just realized you got new AirPods. When did those? Yeah, come I out? did. Those yeah, brand new. I just, did. I just noticed that. That's nice. That's I've had nice. Him,
2: I've had them for a few weeks, but the trust factor to do them on the pod live. There's like you got to get to that level of like. Okay, I'm willing
0: to take the leap and not plug these things take in the for a live podcast.
2: We're going, go, we're going well so far.
0: I, I, I guess I didn't, I didn't deter you at all when I was ready to throw <laughs> my AirPods at the wall last week when like I couldn't get them connected for whatever goddamn reason. I'm surprised you didn't do that. Yeah, uh, it's it's funny. Like you mentioned that. So like I, I asked that first question to, and it, it was it's tough. So we ended up having break off sessions with, with these guys, which is normal. So like when you do like the first introductory press conference, but for people that don't know, like usually have. Uh, everyone and their uncles in it. I mean, you got all the beat writers, you have all the columnists, you have radio people, you have TV people. I mean, it is just a, a cluster, you know what, because there are so many people and everyone's trying to get questions in. So you pretty much get like one question to ask and it's done. And then when you have your separate room and your separate meeting, it's usually just the beats your everyday TV people like, you know, Kim Jones will be there and things like that. And then your columnist. So it's, it's easier to get like your answers in. So it's funny. Cause you said that. Cause that first question that I asked to, to Salah, you know, it was like, what do you think of Sam Darnold and what are his plans for him for 2021? And he answered the first part of it and he did not answer the second part. And again, you don't know if it's like, all right, well I asked this, I also asked this to Joe and that's why, but rich Samini uh, actually picked up the slack. Cause uh, two questions later was he came in and goes, yeah. So about Connor's questions is, is, right. is going to be the quarterback in 21. And, I think what you heard from Salah when he came back there is like, look, we've got to do it. Ev- I'm still focused right now on, on putting my coaching staff together. I am still uh, trying to do this. I'm still trying to to get all this together. I can't make, you know, it's it's unfair and it would be wrong for me to commit to a quarterback, yada, yada. I think what I read into that is this was an opportunity that if the Jets were truly committed to Sam. If they were as, as some indications are out there, like I remember uh right when the Jets had hired Robert Solomon we did the, the emergency press conference or the emergency podcast, uh we discussed a lot about um uh Adam Schefter coming on and saying this means that Sam Darnold's going to be this team's quarterback. You know, I think this means that it's definitely gonna be a good thing for Sam Darnold. And we were all back. Well, is that it? Was kind of unclear. Is that just Adam saying his opinion? Is that just Adam saying it per source? I mean, if it's a if it's a per source Jeffter story, I mean, you can take that thing to the bank. If it's an opinion, well, everyone has their opinions. This was an opportunity, I think, for for Sala that if he was truly committed to Sam as this team's quarterback in 2021, if this was very much as definitive as it once seemed right after the Jets had hired him. I think this would have been the chance to come out and make a more declarative statement of devotion uh, to to Sam. That that they had the opportunity to do this. They could have come out and made a comment, like Cliff Kingsbury said, of barring something unforeseen, Sam's going to be the guy. And the unforeseen would be trading for Deshaun Watson. By Salah saying what he did, I came away from it with the opinion very much of, the Jets really don't know yet that the Jets do really have to dive into this and decide what they're going to do. He said a lot of really good things about Sam. He said a lot of good things of what and how Sam can work in a Mike LaFleur offense, where it's the mobility, the ability to stand tall in the pocket, the ability to stretch the field, his athleticism, the fact he can make throws on the run. I mean, the fact he's beloved in the locker room, he's tough as nails uh, was one of the quotes he gave. I mean, all of those things point towards compliments to Sam, but he never went that next step of I think it's a good chance or we can definitely win with him or like any one of those key buzzwords that would have made you say, yes, Sam Darnold is going to be this team or had me leaving this conference saying, man, I'd feel really good if I was a Sam Darnold fan or I would feel really good if I was Sam Darnold. Instead, I listened to this and came away saying, I still don't know. I think that this is very much an open discussion. I think this is very much a... um possibility that he's the quarterback. I think there's a possibility he's not the quarterback and the jets are really going to weigh all of their options. And I think the main thing that they need to do, and we've discussed this ad nauseum since the season ended is that Joe Douglas and his college evaluation staff need to go turn over every rock and every stone and cross every T and dot every I in their evaluation of Zach Wilson and Justin Fields. And if the jets look at Zach Wilson and Justin Fields and believe that either of those two guys is a franchise quarterback, they will draft them. And that's what I came away from this press conference thinking. And when we talk about a Michael Floor offense, which we uh, we ran a story on The Athletic, really breaking down the nitty gritty of that and, and everything about it. I mean, I, I wrote that story and came away thinking, man, I think Zach Wilson's a perfect fit for this. Sam might be successful, but Zach Wilson's like tailor-made for this offense. Yeah. Still, if Joe goes and he, re- he studies these guys and evaluates these guys and he says... I think Wilson's a franchise guy. I think that Fields is a franchise guy. I think they draft him. If Douglas goes through that entire college evaluation process and he has reservations about one, the other, or both, I think that's when you see this team trade back and they run it with Sam Darnold again. But right now, I don't think they're willing to make a call either way. That They are very much up in the air. They're very much undecided. And and there was a chance for them to make their uh, outlook On this season, very clear. And instead, uh, they they just kind of showed that that this is very much an open discussion still.
2: It is really interesting that we talked a lot about, you know, whoever the head coach is, is going to have a big say in what they do with that number two pick. And if Sam is back. But now it turns out because Salo is the hire and he is the, the defensive guy, he's certainly have a lot to say about it. But Mike LaFleur, you would think, is going to have just as much a say when he's thinking about his offense and, and how these guys fit into it. It's, it's fascinating how collective a, a decision it's going to be. So they didn't talk about, um, or they didn't commit to Sam, obviously, and that means they didn't commit to any questions about what are you going to do with the draft and, and any of that, which is what you would anticipate at this point going into a presser like this. Um, the one different big area, I think, that the press conference kind of focused on besides okay what's the roster going to look like is how do you connect with players why do players love playing for you how do you have that reputation um that you've kind of brought with you along the way in your career and that talks to the intensity and everything and i thought he had a really good answer about why and it's hard for anyone to talk about why people like you right like that's just, maybe not yeah. you connor but most people <laughs> are to talk about it's yeah, talk why, for marissa to
0: after after today thank like you marissa would have been uh, the biggest uh, but, fan not anymore <laughs>
2: But he gave a really good answer about why he thinks uh, players love to play for him and, and respect him. Go ahead, Marissa, play that one.
1: I believe that coaches and players are in this thing together. I believe that the investment that coaches put into players has to be the equivalent of the investment you put in your children. I mean, you've got to invest everything you have in your heart and in your soul into those players because they're relying on you to help them be their absolute best so they can show, showcase their skills on Sunday. I think when players feel that investment and they feel that you're giving them everything you have, I think they can't help but reciprocate that that investment and invest back in you as an individual. And so when you get that investment reciprocated and you got investments on both sides, it becomes personal. And when it becomes personal, it becomes very, very, very special.
2: He actually said later in the press conference that, they respect him, too, because he's out there trying to get them as much money as possible, which I thought was funny because, yeah. yes, guys love the loyalty. But you know what? They also love getting paid. And, and if that's something you share with them like that, that makes sense, too. Um, but usually when people say something like he said there where you need to invest in these players like you would your ch- you would children. It's like people that maybe don't have children. He is a family man with kids and he was. Legitimately, like you know what, I pour as much into these players as I do my own kids. That kind of made me open my eyes a little bit when I was watching the presser.
0: Yeah, it's 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 very different from what the Jets have had recently. You know, Todd. Well, Todd I should say Todd was kind of a going back. I guess I'll go back even further to Rex. like when when I looked at Rex as a head coach, yeah. I, I looked at Rex very much as a as a me guy. Like Rex wanted to have the spotlight on him. He wanted to be the center of attention. That's why he made. Those brash statements. That's why he would, that's why he's on television right now. Like it was the Rex Ryan show, and then the players kind of fell back. And that's very rare that, unless you're the Patriots with Bill Belichick, it's very rare that the coach is the team. You know, usually you have the quarterback or the star defender or something like that is like the star of the show. And with Todd, he was a player's coach, but he was very reserved. You know, he was respected by players because he played within the league. And then Adam Gase was not a player's coach. Adam was somebody who was very. Like, like we've said this before, he wanted to out scheme the guy on the other sideline and he wasn't going to go in the middle of the huddle and rah, rah and fire people up. His scheme was going to be better than, he was. scheme was conceivably going to be better than your scheme, which was going to then in turn put, you know, him on, you know, you got, he was going to put the Jets in a better success to, to ha- or better position to have success. With Salah, I, I get the sense and, and from from talking to him a little bit off the record, from talking to him on the record, from, from just this brief, few brief interactions that I've had with him, I get the sense that he is a guy that, players are going to absolutely love and be in love with and love playing for because he demands respect. Yes. He's not somebody that's going to be a player's coach in terms of like, you know, players can, can get in trouble off the field and they're just, you know, like, like Todd was in that regard where players can get in trouble off the field. They get a minor fine and and then, you know, a slap on the butt and say, do better. And then they go back on their way with uh Sala the players are going to respect him because they're going to feel like he's right next to him, that he's, you know, going to battle with him, he's screaming for him, he's yelling for him, you know, he didn't play in the NFL, but he's an NFL player type personality, and he's going to be going to war with them, and he's going to be leading the charge and and have that fire and intensity, but it's also the respect factor, where he is the fatherly figure, you know, it's it's the family love, it's that kind of a thing, and I, I don't think the Jets have really had a coach like this in, in a long time. Because even going back to Herm Edwards, like Herm was a a, a player's coach, but he was kind of a, a little bit of a, a guy players would would sometimes push over a little bit. And Mangini was the disciplinarian. And, and I think that what you're getting with Sal is the perfect mix of everything. You're getting the guy that players feel connected to and, and have a relationship with and want to play for. But you're getting the... The one that they respect so much that they're not going to act out in line because they don't want to disappoint him. You know, I guess the best way to put it is he compared it to being a kid. It's like being a father. You know, you don't want to disappoint your father. You want to make your dad proud. And I think that that's the type of coach he's going to be for for these guys. And and we talked about it a lot, Tim, when when they were discussing hiring this guy. When when it looked like they were probably going to hire this guy, is that we 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 were saying, you know, okay, well. He's passionate. He's fiery. He's screaming on the sideline. But I didn't know him from, from any random person on the street. I couldn't tell you. Is that like the brash Greg Williams personality where it comes off a little phony or is it truly genuine and is it truly unique? And I think talking to him here and seeing him here in this press conference setting, it shows his ability to separate and and adjust his emotion. Where, yes, he's still that fiery guy. He's still that passionate guy. He's still that guy who's going to scream and yell and get everyone going and fired up and ready and rocking and rolling and all that stuff. Drink. Drink. And I think that we're going to <laughs> see more so the turn it on, turn it off, when to use it, when not to use it. And I think that's a great trait in a head coach. And, and honestly, man, I like I, watching something like that, it's like you kind of feel like the Jets did get it right.
2: One more thing on the press conference, though, I did want to get to was because it stood out to me, because this is a question that's asked every time a new head coach gets, um, you know, into a press conference. They asked him, how close is this team to being a winner? Uh, which he didn't really answer, and I which I guess I respect the honesty, but I think a lot of coaches in this situation would have said, we want to win. We're going to win in 2021. We're going to go out there and win in 2021. He basically kind of dodged it and talked about the fact that there's some talent on this team and they'll see how it fits into what they want to do, But um, but did not commit to being competitive in any way this upcoming season.
0: Good, be realistic. What does that do? Like, right, that help I, that's you, what, you, I you what I thought mean? too. Yeah, be realistic. Yep. There's no, there shouldn't be any lofty ex- expectations of a, of a, unless they get Watson, of a playoff run this year. And, and there shouldn't be any any thought of like, oh, a Super Bowl within the next, like don't, don't talk like that. That's how you get in trouble. Build it the right way. Build this the right way. If it's going to take two, that's fine. Just do this the right way. That's the way that Joe has been building this team the last two years is he's doing it the right way. He's not cutting corners. That's the way... Christopher Johnson and his patience has come into play. Is that he's letting these guys do it the right way? And for Sala to come in and take that stance and say that, I think it's the right call. I mean, he could have. Again, you want to say "Ah, we're going to win a Super Bowl? That's a Rex Ryan thing to say. We're going to be one of the best teams in the NFL. That's a Rex Ryan thing to say. That's a that's a look at me type thing to say. Instead, all gas, no breaks. That's the way we're going to be. Balls to the wall. We're going to punch you in the face if you might get a shot or two on us, but we're going to take swings at you too, and, and that's how we're going to play games. And and eventually, when we do this the right way, we're going to start to be a force to be reckoned with. We'll take a year, maybe two years, maybe, but we are headed in the right direction. I think that's what Jet fans need to hear.
2: All right, so let's get into what this team's going to kind of look like. Um, You know, the offensive side, we know Mike LaFleur, you mentioned it. You referenced your article up on The Athletic right now. There's actually a couple good articles, one that talks about what the – you know, alignment and roster could like look like depending on who the quarterback is in this offense. But then the one that that dropped today that everybody should check out is about what this offense is and and how it breaks down and the zone blocking schemes and, you know, the the philosophy and why it kind of worked for Jimmy G one year and didn't at all this year. So Connor, just kind of break that down for people, what what to expect from I won't call it the LaFleur offense. I guess we should you know, we, it's it's bigger. He's been in it, coaching it, but he's bringing in Shanahan's
0: offense. Yeah, it's Shanahan's offense. Yeah, and I want to make this clear. Like the thing I really liked about writing that story is this isn't me sitting down trying to be like, oh, I'm Coach Connor and putting my coach cap on and my whistle in my mouth and like breaking down the film to say like this is oh look this is what a Shanahan offense is. This is like I'm not made it very clear before. I've said it before. I'm not a scout, but I the fortunate part about doing this job and and being in this field as long as I have is you do get to know people. You get to know coaches in this field. You get to know executives in this field. You get to know general managers in this field. You get to know other people that have had to game plan against Shanahan quite a bit over the last six, seven years. And, and that's going back to when he was in Cleveland and going back to when he was in Washington and when he was with Atlanta. And now obviously he spent the last several years with, with uh, San Francisco, but this is like, I called those people and I was like, it took a couple of days to do it, but it was like, all right, tell me what a Shanahan offense is. Because everyone says, oh man, Shanahan's offense is so great. And Shanahan's offense is this and Shanahan's offense is that. Explain to me, you do this for a living. You are paid to game plan and find ways to break this offense. Explain to me what it is. And that's kind of the premise of the story that's up there on The Athletic Now. You guys can go check it out. But just summarizing it is it, it, it is run heavy. It is... um. Uh, very much a a zone offense, but it's so much more complicated than that. And the way that it was kind of described to me and the way that I thought was so fascinating is that uh, one executive was kind of saying, okay, he goes, we have to game plan against, we have to go against. He goes, what you need to realize is that he is going to try to keep his 21 personnel, which is two backs, one tight end. He wants to keep 21 personnel on the field as much as he can. And he goes, the one thing that he's been able to do is use check their fullback. He goes, his versatility has allowed him to do that even more the last couple of seasons because he goes in there. He goes, but he has the ability to play as a tight end and a fullback. He goes, so it forces you to keep your base defense. Because when you see 21 personnel, you got to put your base defense on the field if you're a defense. So you're now going against your defense. He goes, by him doing that, he is now, that offense is so good, it is dictating what a defense can run. So Shanahan's not saying, okay. We've got this package from the defense. This is what this is how I can try to beat it. This is what I might be able to do. Shanahan with his formations and his uh continual motions, because there is so much motion and so much pre-smap motion and so many guys going this way, guy going that way, and all this kinds of stuff. What he's able to do is basically choose what defense he faces. That's how good this offense is, and that's what the Jets are going to be bringing it in. And then there's obviously a lot of play action. There's a lot of uh motions, like I said. It's a zone running defense, which makes the job of an offensive lineman so much easier because it's not about moving a player off the ball. And we should actually uh, this is no joke. We should probably have like Michael come in here within like the next mm. like couple podcasts and have him talk about this because he'd be able <laughs> to take it. And we can actually say this now because people know who Michael is. So like he'd actually be super beneficial to come in here and hey, explain why his own Uh, by his own schemes easier for an offensive lineman than a man scheme. But the way that it was portrayed to me was that he is not there. The Jets offensive linemen are no longer going to have to push guys off a spot. That's not what it is. They're going to, get to a spot and seal. They're going to get to the second level and block someone off. And then these running backs are going to be running to specific areas and getting through. So for offensive linemen, it's easier because it's not about muscling someone and pushing them off. It's about getting to a specific spot and turning them around as a running back. You don't necessarily need to have great vision. And, and the way that it was explained to me was, was Raheem Moser, right? Like he's had, he had immense success in 2019 where he ran for like 700 yards and eight touchdowns and another 300 something in the playoffs. And then before injuries took their toll, had a lot of success this year as well. Well, Mostert is not a guy with incredibly nifty feet, uh, one talent evaluator told me. And he's not somebody with next-level football vision. But he knows within that scheme, I need to get to this spot on this play and then cut up the field. And when he's able to do that, you see the success. So the most important part of offensive linemen is not necessarily size. It's kind of athleticism and smaller bodies to get to those spots, seal people off, and create those holes. That's what the Jets are going to need from offensive linemen. Uh, from a running back, they're going to need speed to get to the perimeter because that's a lot of what Shanahan's offense is, which we'll, the floor is going to be doing, where it's going to be about getting to the perimeter and getting up the field. And then Makes was like, me okay. think
2: Ty Johnson would be a bigger role, yes. right? When you think mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. his skill set. I mean, mm-hmm. he should have a yeah. bigger role Terp? Anyway, terp? That's, terp, terp a, that's my own terp pride. Pride. Yeah,
0: <laughs> Terp pride, yeah. And then, uh, so that's kind of what they want. And then I was like, all right, well, what are like the the kind of like, you know, the use check was it was a huge player for that. The offensive lineman, like I said, big player for that. Uh, the running backs, it's all about speed, getting to the perimeter, getting up the field, like that kind of a thing, running to a spot. Like well, all of that's super, super friendly. And then with receivers, you want guys that have yak. You want guys that are yards after the catch, because when that offense is really humming, it's. Throw to a window, get the ball in your playmaker's hands and let them make plays. So that's why you saw Debo Samuel make plays. You know, Brandon Ayuk make plays. You know, it was guys that were getting the ball in their hands and then going out there. Emmanuel Sanders was another one when they traded for him. Get the ball, make plays, get the ball, make plays. And I was like, man, I was talking to this one guy and I was like, one of of the people for the story. And I was like, man, I was like, I'm listening to this. I was like, I'm listening to everything you're telling me. And is this what makes it so quarterback friendly? You know what I mean? That cliche quarterback friendly. And he goes, 100%, absolutely. That is what makes this scheme so quarterback friendly, he goes, is that you're basically marrying the run to the pass. And you are making the quarterback's life easy because when you are now taking the quarterback out of the pocket, because that's what they want to do. The, the, basically, a whole Shanahan scheme is they want to eliminate drop back passing. You don't want to have to drop back. You want to be pulling. You want to be rolling. You want to be thrown on the move. You want to be athletic. You don't got to be fast like Lamar, but you can... or um Honestly, like a baker, like where he's a guy that can move and shift and be elusive in the pocket and get out on the outside and make throws. He goes, when you're doing things like that and then you're throwing two guys to a window, you're not necessarily saying like, OK, we're going to play this defensive back and we're going to see what way he breaks. And the receiver's going to break that way. Yada, yada. No, the quarterbacks and Jimmy G a lot of times are throwing to a spot. So it's a window and it's a spot and the guy's going to be open. And you throw it to the window. You get the ball in your guy's hands and then he makes a play. And so I was like, wow, that's like, like I was like, man, this offense seems great. I was like, so how do you stop it? Like how do so how do you like stop that kind of an offense? And this is again, like if you're, if you're interested in reading like the real analytical breakdown of it, the stories up on the athletic and and there's a lot more into there and a lot more X's nose and a real true breakdown of of the Jets roster, which I think people, you know, if you're really interested in this stuff, you can, you can probably, uh, you'd like to read it. But um, I said, I was like, all right, well, how do you, how do you defend it? And he said, well, when we would play them, like when we would play the 49ers, what we would say is you need to cut off the edge and not let the running backs run rampant and run crazy. He goes, and then we would try to force them to attack down the field. And we try to force and keep the quarterback in the pocket and force the quarterback to take his shots down the field. And I was like, all right, well, I was like, that basically just tells me that you're trying that you're saying like you wanted Jimmy Garoppolo to beat you. And he said, that's exactly what we wanted to do. We wanted Jimmy Garoppolo to beat us. And I was like, okay, well, if you had a quarterback in the pot in there, if you had a quarterback in this Shanahan scheme, that had the mobility to get outside and move, the ability to make throws on the run, the accuracy, the quick release, but then also had a really strong arm to be able to stretch the field and be able to get down the field and be able to make those deep throws where when the running game's taken away and you have to dig the drop back pass, you can stretch the field and be aggressive. If you had a quarterback like that, how would you shut down the defense? And the exact quote I got from one of the people that I was talking to about this was, we'd be fucked. Like, that was the quote that they said, was that we would be effed, is that, that that is, that's what would happen. So, when he was telling me this, I, in my head, I was like, okay, I think I get why people say Sam can be effective in this. And he did say, like, this one, this one, uh, another executive I was talking to said that to me as well. Is he said, Sam can be effective in this offense because he can throw on the move. He's athletic. He can get out of the pocket and run around. And again, the one issue with Sam throughout his career is that he's had a lot of, um, problem reading defenses and making reads and going through his read progressions. When you're throwing to a window, you're not necessarily doing that. So it will make Sam's life easier and it will certainly help him and, and help uh, make things easier, make things better. Um, he So he goes, Sam will be effective. He goes, but if you can get that quarterback that can be aggressive and the quarterback can stretch the field, you will take this Shanahan offense that has been so effective in San Francisco and you will take it to the next level. Cause that's not what Jimmy can. So when I was listening to this guy, I was like, man, Sam can be effective. Like I said, but Zach Wilson kind of seems like he's <laughs> tailor-made for this one, man, because that kid's the one who can, you know, we talked to Dane about it, right? He's He, he moves like Manzel. He's like the guy that can get out and move. He can throw on the run. He's stupid accurate. He can play off the play action, and then he has that cannon for an arm where he can get to the next level of the defense, and he can stretch the field, and he can take those shots and just pinpoint passes all the way down there. So can the offense work with Sam? Yes, I'm excited to see how the offense will work with Sam. But listening to these, I, I talked to a, an offensive coordinator. I talked to a, a talent evaluator. And I talked to a former GM. And and listening to all of those guys describe this offense and explain this offense, which, again, not to plug it for the third time, but it's up there on The Athletic if you really want the complete breakdown of it. It's tough to do it verbally and, and portray it because different things are coming in my mind. Like, oh, this would be a Go good thing. Go the, to
2: uh, theathletic.com slash can't wait to uh, get a subscription for $3.99. I'll oh, just get me. that in there.
1: Yeah, a little plug. Go ahead, A
0: little under-the-table plug. <laughs> Uh but yeah, I mean I, I think that listening to what they were portraying to me, I came across it and came back from it thinking, man, Zach Wilson is like it can function with Sam, it can be next level with Zach Wilson. That that's honestly what I came away thinking.
2: And the the um and we're gonna get to defense a little bit because there's a lot of chatter of that. But the one thing that like to super and oversimplify it that I think of is to me, Adam Gase's offense can be really effective, well, or could be really effective with a great quarterback who has mastered it and is on top of his game, whereas this offense actually makes the quarterback better as opposed to having to have the perfect quarterback. This is one where you can actually get away with kind of an average quarterback that it'll play up for him, and and that's that's what this Jets team needs, and that's something that can help every team, to be honest. Um, All right, so the defense— um, you know, that officially defensive coordinator Ulbrich on, on board. Um, but you would think with the head coach, with the defensive background, Connor, you're also going to have plenty of what Robert Salab, Salab believes in on the defensive side of the ball as well. So what do you expect it to look like as far as structure and, and how they put things together?
0: Yeah. And, and real quick, just one last note on the offense is that I, I going through, like I asked, I asked a couple of people like, all right, cause I mean, people in the NFL, they're familiar with every roster. And I was like, okay, well, what do you need, like, for this offense to be successful? Like, what do you, like, what are the, like, for you to really implement the Kyle Shanahan offense in New York, what do you need? And the things that I was told almost universally was it really is helpful if you have a player like like Yusek in in terms of, like, the fullback, the hybrid fullback that can go out. Like, that just, because that allows you to keep yourself in the 21 personnel, which allows you to keep the defense in their base offense or base defense even more. So, he said, that's super useful. You need receivers that can create yards after the catch, which is something that the Jets do not have. So they don't really have that fullback, even though Yusek, I think, is going to be a free agent. So they hope that was going to be Wesco, but Wesco really hasn't developed. Uh, You need receivers who can have the yards after the catch. That's something the Jets don't have as well because Denzel Mims is much more of a linear player, and you have it a little bit in Crowder, but that's pretty much it. So you need the yards after catch guy. Uh, Someone that somebody told me they can 100% see the Jets going after is Curtis Samuel because he would fit that Debo role within the Jets. Uh, Obviously, like I said, you need the quarterback that can get out and move and things like that. And then the one area that I was told the Jets desperately need to improve because this scheme, this blocking scheme, they said, will be extremely beneficial to Mekhi Becton, Connor McGovern, and George Font. He said those three people will immediately see their play, take it even to the next level because of this scheme. Not only is it a little bit simpler for offensive linemen, but it will help them get better. Those three guys, like those will definitely improve. Greg Van Roten, he said... One person said Greg Van Roten could, quote, function, but the Jets are going to have to get better at the guard positions. Like they're going to they're going <laughs> to have to get better at guard. Uh, so that's kind of thing is they're going to have to find a check U-check. They're going to have to find receivers that can create yards after the catch. Obviously, you can pick what you want to do at quarterback if it's Sam Wilson, Fields, whatever. Uh, and then obviously you need to improve the guard position. So that is what like the and then, uh, as I said, running backs that have speed to the perimeter. So you desperately need that as well. So speed to the perimeter a fullback that's versatile yards after catch receivers and new guards. That's kind of what the jets need to make this offense. Like really go.
3: That's it.
0: Yeah. That's all. <laughs> yeah, that's Piece all. of okay. That's it. Yeah. The cool thing is though, is I mean, they do, like, like I said, I mean, you do have the means to do it. I, I don't know how much right. Allen Robinson totally right. fits into that. But you got like the money to sign Robinson and Samuel. Like suddenly you got your yak guy. You can find another yak guy in the draft. Joe Tooney is going to be a free agent. You can sign him. You can... Jarek McKinnon's going to be out there as a free agent if you want to bring him back. If not, Ty Johnson, Terps, go Terps, is a perfect fit within this scheme. So, I mean, there are... I don't think it's as hard as people think. I mean you draft Wyatt Davis in the second round, you sign Joe Tooney, boom, the offensive is perfect. Like the, the chat the chat
3: brought up Pat Elfine too, who played really well yes. uh, at the right. end yes. of the season for the Jets, mm-hmm. so after yeah. getting him from the Vikings. So he could definitely mm-hmm. be an option there on the line.
0: Yes.
2: All right. So how about that defense?
0: Yeah. So uh I did actually so we had um break off conversations with with uh, Joe and Robert, which I say, cause I think I touched upon it. When you do these uh, press conferences at first, like the first press conference that all the fans watch and that's like televised and all it's everyone and their uncles in it. And then you do like a little side room, which is a side zoom room or in real life when we're in there in person, we get to pull off to the side and it's just the beat writers and maybe some columnists and you can really start to break down and get an abundance of questions in and things like that. So I asked Sala uh, about his defense in the break room In terms of like, what's he going to, what's it going to look like? Because is it, is it, you know, I said, I was like, oh, you know, your, your Seattle tie in San Francisco. And he actually shut it down pretty quick that this is not a Seattle defense. And he made that very clear. Like he goes like, I've been removed from that from long enough where it's not going to be Seattle. There's not going to be too many Seattle pieces. They're not going to be Seattle. This not gonna be Seattle that it's going to be much more what we did in San Francisco. And then obviously his new D.C. is going to have his own input and do his own wrinkles and things like that. But this is much. Go- this is going to be San Francisco's defense, not Seattle's defense. And it also is going to be very heavily 4-3, not 3-4. And, and he said, he goes, he wants speed at every level. So he wants speed on the front with the wide-known defensive front, speed at linebackers, speed at cornerback, speed at safety. And he thinks that going 4-3 as opposed to 3-4 allows him to get more speed on the field. I think he said there, there will be some... 34 principles quote-unquote but it's going to be largely a 40 a 43 defense and if that's the case we can now and this is going to be a story that runs uh it's either going to be tomorrow friday or it's going to be monday just starting to play the puzzle maker of where the jets can go if they're running a 43 defense and i think the first player that benefits the most is and williams because he now goes from 34 defensive end eating up blocks to to now he's lining up next to a defensive end and next to another defensive tackle, going up against guards and centers, and he's really going to be able to thrive. and And Sala sang his praises tenfold, where he said, "I absolutely love Quinnen," and he said he wants to uh, unharness his seatbelt or so. I tweeted the quote; okay? <laughs> it was something about seat unharness and seatbelts or something like that, and really let him go and let him fly and and let him dominate. So that defensive front, I think, will be priority number one for the Jets to figure out what to do. Quinnen Williams will obviously be one of those defensive tackles. Uh, I think uh, Foley Fatukasi will be one of those defensive tackles. They can have John Franklin Myers rotate in, but what the Jets are going to need to do is find two speed edge rushers at defensive end because they don't have it. I know Jabari Zuninga, people will be like, oh, they drafted Jabari Zuninga. The Jets drafted Jabari Zuninga believing he was going to be like their Brandon Graham or, or their uh, J- uh, Justin Tuck for, for those that are familiar with the Giants or familiar with the Eagles. In terms of a guy that on running situations he'll play defensive end. In passing situations, he moves inside a defensive tackle because he's too quick for guards. And he's, you know, then so they kind of move him inside. So that's how the Jets view him. They still need speed defensive ends. They need to find speed defensive ends. They don't really have that on the roster. This also probably means Terrell Basham is gone. And this probably means that Jordan Jenkins is gone. Uh, But they're going to need to find two 43 defensive ends. I think Mosley or Hewitt can play the Mike linebacker spot in a 43. That won't be an issue. I actually think Hewitt. Could play the strong side linebacker in a forty three spot, but the Jets are going to have to go find an outside linebacker that can cover, uh, who they don't really have, and then obviously they're going to need corners and they're going to need safeties. But this is probably the first time, in, as long as I've been covering the team, that they're going to be a thirty, they're going to be a, a true forty three defense. Todd threw some wrinkles in there with forty three, and, and Greg would occasionally throw like a weird forty three front, but they were pretty much thirty four all the way dating back to Rex, and now maybe. Maybe when John they had John Abraham, I think was probably one of the last times that I can think that they were a 43. So it's going to be fascinating to, to watch how this comes together. But I do think that moving to 43 helps Quinnen a lot. It'll help John Franklin Myers a lot, it'll help Foley a lot. I think it'll help uh, Zuninga a lot because now he can play that Justin Tuck, Brandon Graham role. And then the Jets are just going to have to go out there and find more pieces.
2: Yeah. Those, you mentioned it, the the outside, the pass rush, the speed rushers on the outside. It's just non-existent on this roster. And it'll be interesting to see where they go and, and how they get that. All right. Deshaun Watson. The moment Watson. everyone's
3: been waiting for. <laughs> <laughs>
2: um, it, it is interesting because there's so much talk about the process with Joe Douglas, and he's acquired all these picks and how he's going to build this team. And He's going to have the money to spend on free agents, and they're going to do this the right way. But then Deshaun Watson may be on the trade um, you know, rumor mill, and then that just kind of gives you the opportunity, Connor, to to blow things up, and it's a big decision, though, because it's do you continue to trust that process, or do you say, you know what? We acquired these picks to make this team better, and this makes the team better.
0: This is like the hardest thing thing to break down and god I pissed off Jets Nation with like my <laughs> Watson which I was stunned with. Like I was like like am I I'll, I'll t- like so here's here's the what I'm sure the Jets will look at and and I'll, I'll make this cl- as as clear as I I can say from starting out. Um you if if you can find a way to get a 25 26 year old bona fide, no doubt, franchise one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL, if you can get him on your team, there is no price that's too much because those players don't come around often. It is hard to find one, and you know it's hard to find one because if Deshaun Watson truly is on the trade block, there's going to be 25 of 32 teams that are pretty much going out and looking for him. Unless you have Pat Mahomes, unless you have... Russell Wilson you're still going or Aaron Rodgers you're still going to make a call on Deshaun Watson because he is that good and and when you get him you don't have to worry about the quarterback position for the next 10 to 12 years you you know that you aren't just set there you have one of the best you have one of the guys that gives you a chance to win every single Sunday just because of how god-given talent he is, talented he is and there are so few people so for that in my opinion there is no price That is too much to pay. It's not. Three first round picks, four first round picks, three and a second in Sam, it doesn't matter because I I truly believe that Sam or Sam, that Deshaun is worth it. Like Deshaun is that good. He's a difference. Like he is, you, you, like people, like general managers dream of this guy and dream of finding this guy. And if you can actually get him or trade for him, the minute you agree, and, and get a person that if maybe you get a team to agree to trade him to you, you paid too little because there's no price. There's no price. Like you already paid too little. If you get somebody to agree to make him there, the problem with the Sam Darnold or the problem with the Deshaun Watson trade is that, like I said, the jets are not going to be the only team that's in this. The jets are not going to be the only team making a call. And, If this was just about assets and this was just about money, the Jets are in probably the top position to acquire him because they have the draft picks to make a more compelling offer than anyone else, and they have the cap space to absorb his contract. So you have the perfect situation. But when Watson signed that massive contract extension with Houston, he had a no-trade clause. And when he has a no-trade clause, he can dictate where he goes because he's not going to accept a trade to a team that he doesn't want to play for. He's going to want to go to a team that he wants to play for. And when I take that into consideration, and then I compare the Jets to the other teams that might potentially be in the running for for Watson, I don't see why Watson would pick the Jets over the Miami Dolphins or over the Carolina Panthers or over any of these other teams that are a little bit closer. Because... One of the main topics of conversation down in Houston this year was how the uh was how the Texans wasted a year of Deshaun's prime. I mean they like you you have the video of JJ Watt walking off the field in week 17 with Watson with his arm around him and he says, "I'm sorry, man. I'm sorry we wasted one of your years. I'm sorry we did this to you." If the Jets, the Jets right now when I look at their roster, I think they need a running back. I think they need a number one wide receiver. They probably need another wide receiver on top of that that can get after the ca- that can make yards after the catch. They need a left guard. They need a right guard. They need two two speed rushing defensive ends. I know people love Bless Austin and people love Bryce Hall, but they probably need two starting corners as well. If they bring back Marcus May, they're fine at strong safety. If they let Marcus May go, they or a the free safety. They need a free safety. Depending on how you feel about Ashton Davis, they either do or don't need a free safety. They have a strong safety. It gets, this team is not close. So. The Jets need the vast majority of these draft picks this year and next year in order to get them to a point where they are what the Miami Dolphins are this year or they are at a team where they have all of these holes. Like the Jets are not a quarterback away. So if I'm Deshaun Watson and I look at the Jets, I don't know if I would necessarily want to go play for the Jets considering the other options that are out there knowing that in order for the Jets to elevate their roster to the point where they are in as good of a position as say the Miami Dolphins they need the draft picks that are going to have to be traded to acquire me. So if you're the Jets, you do everything you can to go get Watson. You should go do everything to get Watson because he's that different. But if I'm Watson and it's Jets or Dolphins, I don't know how you pick the Jets over the Dolphins. I don't know how you pick the Jets over the Panthers. I don't know how, just because the Jets roster is so far away still. And if you trade for Watson, you get that franchise quarterback so you're closer in that regard. But the roster is still needing so many other pieces in order to get them to contention. And when I think about Watson walking off the field with Watt and, and Watt saying, are we wasted a year, your prime. Watson is only 28. Yeah, that's that's. I mean, he's or 25. I'm sorry, 25, 26. He's still young, so it's not like he's nearing the end of his career and he has to win now. But his talent level is a position where he is a win now quarterback. Like he's ready to compete. He doesn't need to develop anymore. He's ready for a Super Bowl. If he goes to the Jets, they're probably still one or two years away. If he goes to the Dolphins, he's competing for a Super Bowl this year. Like that's that's that was like that's the the Watson thing where if the Jets can go get Watson and he agreed, go get him. Dif- he's a difference maker, man. He's a completely different player. Go get Watson if you can get him. I just don't know if Watson would want to play for the Jets if some of these other teams are out there and competing for his services.
2: Makes you wonder if it was like if Bill O'Brien was still there, right? Where maybe you could uh, you could yeah. pull like a Sam and Darnold straight up trade for Watson.
0: And someone, <laughs> Bill someone's yeah. so. Oh yeah, you give him a three and get Watson. Like I see in the chat here, like someone said, Yo, I'm discounting New York City in the salary cap. Like... You realize that if he's playing in Miami, he's playing without state income tax, right? So he's going right. to be making yeah. twenty, yeah. Million, yeah, gonna be making 20 million. Yeah, he's going to be making twenty million dollars more. And by yeah. the way, which is he's what like,
2: he's doing now in Texas. So it would yes. be something and people that say he's New York money. About.
0: Like I, Marissa can speak to this. For, like how many commercials is Baker Mayfield in? He plays in Cleveland. Like it. Like the marketing in the NFL is different. Like it's not. It's not like the NBA. It's not like the, the the luster of like you need to play in one of these major markets in order to be a star. Like, is simply not true. I mean, Eli Manning was the Giants quarterback for 20 years. Baker passed him in commercials and endorsement money after his rookie season in Cleveland. I mean, if you're a marketable personality, you will be marketable no matter where you play. I mean, the biggest Yeah, look marketable- at
2: Peyton. You yeah. mentioned Eli. Look at Peyton playing Indianapolis. in Indianapolis. Like, yeah.
0: Indianapolis is like, and that's Peyton Manning. Like it's, it, Tom, like New England's on a massive, massive, like it does, that doesn't matter. And plus again, in Miami, there's no state income tax when in New York, you're gonna, I mean, just gave give 80% of your contract I, yeah. to Uncle Sam. I, mean, I think all these
3: listeners know about what uh, the taxes were like <laughs> in, in New York. New Jersey area I don't think we need to explain that exactly um, I will so, say I did I did ask the chat like what they would give up for Watson and I was curious like what kind of responses I'd get whether it'd be everything, like everything you know, the my firstborn um yeah so someone said they'd throw their house in the package some someone said they'd give up alcohol for a year I think <laughs> somebody said they would tweet out a video of themselves crying out of pure excitement so I mean it sounds like
2: somebody said they trade Connor too. So yes.
3: <laughs> How did I forget that one? Dude, that that, a, that does not. That was surprise the best me. comment. Can we trade Connor for Watson? Yeah, that was my favorite I, one. <laughs> yeah,
0: I would say though, I was stunned though, like that take, like when when I I didn't even think it was a take. It was just like the Jets should one hundred percent go after and get Watson if they can. I just don't think Watson would pick the Jets over some of these other teams. I mean, the Jets were two and fourteen last year. They were two and fourteen. And the Miami Dolphins were ten and six with Ryan Fitzpatrick and Tua basically like doing nothing the majority of the season. Like they basically played without a quarterback and still went ten and six. Like so, why would he choose the Jets, a two and fourteen team, when the Dolphins were eight wins better? Just like that. Like I just, I don't I don't know I don't know why. I, I thought that was pretty. I didn't think I was going out on a ledge saying that. I thought that was like a pretty, like just obvious thought. Like I thought I was like oh well, that's clear. Like the Jets are not in a perfect position and the Jets. If the Jets say two years from now, they will be that team because they will have all these first round picks and all this money to kind of like build them into a contender where people will want to come here. I just didn't think he was there yet. Now, if the Jets can convince him, if they can say, look, we're going to sign Tooney, we're going to sign Robinson, we've got Salah, who you like. Look at what LaFleur can do with you as a quarterback. If the Jets can find a way to convince him, do it. Like 100% do it. I just have my reservations that Watson would pick the Jets over some of these other teams like that, that will be in his services that are closer to contention than the Jets are. And he's a guy who clearly wants to win right now. And I don't think if he comes to the Jets, he's, he's winning right now. I just, I just don't think that now, again, the Jets should still go after him. The Jets should make a run the Jets should do everything they can to get him. I just don't know why he would, he would come here over some of the other alternatives, but maybe the Jets can, uh, can make something happen. How and somebody said, he, no, he wants to play for went. Salah. Like, Like, real real quick, sorry, Marissa, but real quick, like, some I've seen this like a hundred times has been tweeting me, like, oh, Deshaun wants to play for Salah. Deshaun wants to play for Salah. Like, Deshaun gave the Texans a list of like 10 coaches he wanted them to interview. Salah was on the list. He was not the only list. It's not like he went to the Texans and said, I want to play for Salah and only Salah. If you don't hire him, I'm gone. Like, Salah, like, he came out and he said, like, Biennami was the number one guy on his list. Like, that's who he wanted. And the Texans interviewed him, and the Texans still might sign Biennami. And if they sign Biennami, I wonder if everything's okay and he sticks in Houston. So we're gonna see. I mean, it's also kind of fascinating watching all these reports come out because you can tell like the agency is pushing the he wants out, he wants out, while the Texans are saying, if that, we're not trading him. Where he's a once in a lifetime quarterback. We don't want to get rid of him. Like the Texans have they haven't had a quarterback like him since their franchise originated. So it's like it's not it's it's tough to to say that. But um look, stance the same. If you can get him, go get him. I just have my reservations on if it would actually happen. But if the Jets could get him. It'd be the biggest win for this franchise in Super Bowl three. I really believe that.
3: I was just going to say it'd be pretty crazy if he did end up with the Dolphins because that third pick that they could trade to Houston is their pick that they yeah. got, I think, in the Kenny Stills or the um, Tunsil trade. Tun-
0: Tunsell, Tunsell Dill.
2: Yeah.
3: Yeah. 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 So it'd almost be like, hey, we got your best player and then we'll, we'll give you your pick back. It's okay.
0: <laughs> That'd be wild. My one other,
2: me- my one. F- follow-up here Connor is when it comes down to it you know getting to know Joe Douglas a little bit as you have over the last couple of years when it comes down to pulling the trigger if it if Deshaun says you know yeah I want to play for the Jets is Joe Douglas willing to part with all that draft capital just knowing that that's how he is all along planned to build this team is he willing to pivot in this moment with this opportunity or do you think like at the last second, you know, he just doesn't want to quite pull that trigger and somebody else just kind of is willing.
0: I so I I think that everything's thrown out the window when you're talking about somebody like Deshaun Watson. So when you're talking about a 25-year-old top 5 franchise quarterback, I think everything's thrown out the window. But I will say I'll answer it honestly with a story and it's when the Jets hired Joe Douglas. I did a um a, a big feature on him where I interviewed people that, were, uh, that worked with him in Baltimore, people that worked with him in Chicago. And one of the people that I also interviewed was Howie Roseman, who was the Eagles general manager who brought um, Joe Douglas to, to his side as as director of player personnel and and was where Joe was working before the Jets hired him. And I was asking Howie about like, you know, look, he was a scout. He was a guy that scouted for his entire career. And now he's a general manager where he's going to have to do everything. You know, how did you see him prepare? Like, was he prepared at all for this? And what Howie said is that, and I, Again, I think it's it might you can might just throw everything out the window when you're talking about Watson. Like I said, but what Howie explained to me was there were several times where the Eagles made trades for players, and and one of them was uh, they traded for uh, the running back that Gase hated. Uh, who's that running back for the Dolphins who had like uh, Ajay Jay Ajay? Um, the Eagles traded for Jay Ajay, and in order to trade for Jay Ajay, they had to give up like a middle a middle round draft pick, and Howie went into Joe Douglas's office and was kind of like, "Hey, we're trading X draft pick for Jay Ajayi. And Joe was like, "Oh, what are we doing? I need that pick. We're going to look at this guy in the draft." Like he was upset that they were trading away his draft pick because as a college as a, as a lifetime scout those draft picks are his babies. Like it's the possibility. It's the Tom Brady that it might be. It's the, it's the, the, Oh, you don't know what this guy's, but we can develop them and build him And I found this guy from random school. Like that's like, they love these draft picks. And, and Joe, when he was with Philly, like was so, he used to struggle all the time with when the, cause Howie was a big wheeler and dealer, he would struggle all the time when these draft picks were traded for players and how we had to explain to Joe, like, look, Yes, you could get this player in the third round, but Jay is going to help us this year and we'll also be able to still do this and that. So and that's the only way I can really answer it because that's what he was like in Philly and I don't think he's changed that much. He does understand the value of trades. He does understand where they can help you and, and how he helped open his eyes to that. But I don't believe that it's something where he will say, like, let's give up all... Of-. Like, I, I don't know. But again, it, it's such an unprecedented situation because I can't remember such a bona fide franchise quarterback potentially being available. I just, I can't, I can't At ever recall. Age, right? Yes, exactly. Like you, like sometimes they're older or like when the Jets trade, like got far like, you know, they're older on the tail. They're still a franchise quarterback, but they're up there in age. I just can't, or like, even when uh, the Broncos signed Peyton, he was still in his late thirties. So it's, it's, I, I can't ever remember like a guy in his prime where, you know, you're getting him, and he's going to be a franchise quarterback for a decade. Like, it's I, just so unprecedented, which also makes me go back to like the Texans aren't going to trade him. Like, why would the Texans trade him? So we'll see. But um, I think there would be, I think there would be pause from Douglas to give up three first round picks for one player. But at the same time, as soon as he has that pause, he realizes I'm getting Deshaun Watson, and Deshaun Watson's going to be my quarterback. And I think that puts everything at ease.
2: Makes sense. I think that's a good space to uh, to leave it at. Anything else to add, Connor? I thought it was a good no. day for the Jets again. We've had a series of good days for the Jets. And this was another one with the press conference of uh, Robert Sala.
0: I think say yeah, I mean, right. look, yeah, I agree with you. I think it's a good day. I I, I left this press conference thing and the Jets are in good hands. I, I I watched it. I talked to the guy. I've talked to him before it, after it. And, and I, I came out of this saying, Joe Douglas has this thing headed in the right direction. Robert Sala is the right coach at the right time. Uh, I'm interested to see how things are going to work now with Woody coming back because it kind of seems like this whole hierarchy of like now coach reports to GM, GM reports to Christopher, Christopher reports to Woody. Like that's kind of going to be a little unique and and we're going to see how that goes because Christopher is still going to have day-to-day control and then Woody just has super ultimate say. So that's going to be fun to watch. But I I came out of this one honestly believing the Jets are in good hands. The Jets are headed in the right direction. And now it's just a matter of they got to get the players. They got the right GM. They got the right coach. They got the right owner right now. They just need the players to, to turn this thing around and, and really start becoming a, a legitimate contender.
2: All right. Thanks for joining us live. If you're doing that or if you're listening on Apple, we appreciate it. Again, leave a, a rating and review. Tell your friends. Subscribe. All of that stuff. And if you want to get the best of The Athletic, go to theathletic.com slash the can't wait podcast. Right now, the deal is you can sign up for just three ninety nine per month. We'll talk to you again when uh, news breaks down the road.